For this podcast episode, I wanted to speak to three important people at the Association for Contemporary Jewelry, who, for their 25th anniversary, have organized a conference titled Beyond Silver, which ran from the 1st to the 3rd of July 2022 in Exeter and online. During the conference, I connected with collector Linda Lambert, educator Bridie Lander, and the chair for the Association for Contemporary Jewelry, Terry Hunt. So, we are gathered at the 25th anniversary conference of the Association of Contemporary Jewelry. Congratulations on this silver anniversary. So, to start, the conference controversially is called Beyond Silver. Can you expand on sort of the theme of this conference and the title and how that relates to everything here? Okay, maybe I can contribute to that. Beyond silver, because the ACJ has always been about um, something that is more than the traditional aspect of jewellery, i.e. maybe silver manufacture. And we believe that contemporary jewellery should be much more than just that obvious traditional uh, concept of jewellery in terms of materials, use of materials, or... um, anything else about jewellery that, that one might regard as traditional and we need to move on from that. So beyond silver and also the aspect of beyond silver, beyond 25 years. We're living in a society which has changed, obviously a lot over 25 years. So part of the uh, contributions that we were hoping within the conference would be looking at the future. Uh, after, say, our 25 years. What happens in the next 25 years, for instance? Yeah, that's amazing. I have a a follow-on question in that, because the lineup that you've chosen for this conference reflects these times and the challenges we face. Do you feel that jewellery artists can make meaningful contributions to these shifting, perhaps, paradigms and... Do you see any examples of that, perhaps in the conference, but also outside? Well, if jewellers can't do it, who's going to? I suppose fine artists might um, might think that they're making a contribution in that respect. Maybe that's more self-indulgent. Whoops. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously, some contemporary jewellery can be seen as self-indulgent. But um, I like to think that in this conference, we've seen a lot of possible themes and directions and other possibilities for analysing what it is we do and the possibilities for the future. I think what um, happens within the jewellery field is it's it's brought back, unlike um, fine art or design generally, it tends to be brought back to the individual, because it is about the body in one way or another. So yes, I think all fields at the moment are contemplating what our futures are. We've been going through sort of massive changes, rethinking, recontextualizing our areas of studies. And But I think what makes the jewellery field a little bit different is that it, it, it personalises it. Because it is more about the body or the person. 
um, whether that's the individual person or persons collectively within a community, how we engage with one another, how we inter intersect with one another. So I think that maybe that's the difference within a sort of contemporary jewellery field. Because there are other crafts like ceramics that are doing a lot of the same, pushing boundaries back, what you yeah. can do, having the narrative and all. And textiles but sometimes. Yes, uh, you know, and, and this is such a great place, Britain, for it. I mean, it's exciting. But I think you're right. It's the personal um, thing. If you're wearing it, that's resonating and you're sending out messages to people, whether you realize it or not, and maybe incorrect ones, but the fact is, it, it's it's you, and it's on you, and you're saying something which makes it just that more, um, I suppose, visceral. It's you. <laughs> uh, in my presentation this afternoon about meanings and messages, I'm actually going to mention that aspect mm. about a possible difference between artists' intentions and viewers' perception. Mm. Because artists gave us a description of their concept and theme with their piece when it was submitted, but it tended to be too, too big to actually be able to show alongside the jewellery. Uh, so the brooches are just shown on their own with the maker's name and the materials. So the casual viewer, shall we say, has not necessarily any idea of the basis for the production of that piece, which can be interesting <laughs> uh, because people can have a different assumption about what this is all about. Uh, and they have to pay, I'm afraid, £5 to get the catalogue. <laughs> because in the catalogue, of course, you have each individual artist's concept statement. Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to, to have some sort of discussion with people about, you know, where this has gone wrong or where people have, have made uh, an incorrect presumption. Has it gone piece. wrong? Well, I was just going to ask that. <laughs> well, no, I don't. Well, I, I, I don't think. I, it... I'm, I'm going to mention. I'm going to mention one instance where it did go wrong. Yes, but I don't have a problem with that. It just happened to be my piece. That was all. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I'm I'm actually referring to that in okay. in my presentation. But there is a, a there is an argument that with contemporary jewelry, in a way, the the maker's intention is not necessarily what it's all about. It can be the, the viewer's perception of that, which is one of the reasons that the, maybe the viewer appre appreciates that piece for, and actually likes that, and maybe even purchases that. It's like, well, yeah, but I, I like it because of this, A, B, and C, which could be different Absolutely. to the maker's um, idea. Now, uh, exactly, they make their own association. So, you know, it's, it's not that important necessarily. And I think that's where it is quite different from maybe um, other practices in uh, fine art and design because you have to leave work open to being interpreted or then repossessed, as you like, by somebody else and oh. their own interpretations and their own attachments. So it's really quite interesting reflecting on, for example, Shan's talk 
um, about you know those those connections with senses of self, but also that um, point that she also made about it being very much a, a gifting economy. So the artists themselves in these fields in these class fields are gifting themselves, letting and letting those those attachments of their own allow them to have them reinterpreted by by the new possessor, if you like. Mm, okay. Yeah, I might put in another question following on from this jewelry is highly connected to humans mm-hmm. right but in this world or in in our current debates we're really discussing sort of the dangers of thinking mm-hmm. you know us thinking that we are the center of everything mm-hmm. do we feel that us jewelers could have an interesting take on these sort of discussions, debates, and if we feel that that's happening, is there any examples, or do you feel that is an area that we should start to think about maybe a bit more? Perhaps jewellery in that sense acts as a, a marker for us humans to recognise patterns outside of ourselves. Mm. Um, I'm thinking very much as makers, I'm beginning to see and recognise that people are acknowledging that they have to take into account the senses from our larger environment, not just ourselves. Um, So I'm thinking in simple terms, yes, as you say, a jewellery is is not relevant in one time, but later on oh. it seems somehow appropriate. So is it acting as like a, a marker of us acknowledging the sort of changes within our environments, those subtlety, subtle sort of Life energy style. flows and stuff that we're Life not progress. consciously aware of? So maybe it's acting in, in that way. And I guess the presentation just now where you have sun worshipping and maybe we can use it as a narrative to bring certain topics to light. But I, I really like what you say and I would I wrote down direct contact with materials because there is a world out there which we covered yesterday as well, the metaphors where we are potentially no longer connected to any physical reality but perhaps the making and the understanding of materials which have been formed or we are forming ourselves that that practice is actually a connection to nature as well and how that could be used to reflect on those powers that are beyond some something other than ourselves and i think there is a a conscious um, awakening and I think it's very prevalent in artists, designers, makers who are actually interacting with materials. They're having to pick up a sensitivity of those materials and respond to them. Mm. So, which is very different to perhaps um, managing an artifact within a digital space. And in an industrialization mm. disconnected us more from you know you were you saw certain processes a single thing, and then you're no longer part of the bigger picture. But being a jeweler is often you're often part of it. Or or a, a, or a maker having a maker. to negotiate with the material. Yeah. 
don't you think the materials used are reflecting current concerns also about the climate and all and what method which might be well tried and used really is using too much of our natural resources and should we be thinking of something else and even well i know somebody that picks up glass that's been in the ocean and it's got all um soft and round and using that i mean i think it's a reflection of our society as well as us as individuals and i think that's important because the jewelry with any luck is going to last a lot longer than us and there were some wonderful examples over um lockdown of people in isolation actually having to improvise uh, yeah, improvising with the resources around them or actually finally just kind of walking out into their environment and responding to it and picking up new sensitivities with it, which was which was just delightful to actually watch unfold in lots of ways. I, yeah. I agree. And I think in actual fact, and maybe unfortunately in a way, we are too close to it now to really perceive what is going on in terms of our reaction to... Um, to, to our current situation. You know, it would be really good to be around in 100 years' time and to actually see how that has developed and how it's been affected by, yeah, you know, climate change and all that sort of stuff that's been going on. I mean, well, obviously one hopes mankind is still around in 100 years' time, uh, but, you know, to have that overview, like the art historians have now, of... A hundred years, five hundred years. What uh, the enlightenment us. meant back then? Sorry. What the enlightenment meant back then? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, how, how did they feel? How did they feel when they were going through that? You know, um, they um, yeah. <laughs> were they enlightened? <laughs> in the enlightenment? Are we? Yeah, yeah. But and, uh, you know, in a hundred years, a lot of the elements that we use in jewellery now might no longer exist. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and, point. you know, yep. it, we might have gone off in another direction completely. Yeah. And that's part of the excitement about it. Um, and, you know, it's really a field where innovation is happening all the time while still having the basic, you know, um, stone on a ring. But almost anything else can go also, which... As a non-jeweler, I find absolutely exciting and fascinating and um, watch this space. Uh, yeah. The ACJ has organized this conference. It's the first in-person event, I think, after COVID for us as a community to meet. How important are these types of events? And when you talked about sort of yeah, wanting to reflect, is reflection important for the association? Um, well, yes, it's important, um, and um, we obviously don't host um, conferences regularly. We, we haven't done that anyway. Um, we've done, uh, I don't know, probably half a dozen or something, you know, over the 25 years. Um, they have been successful because of the reflection, because of any event like this is, is useful, because of bringing people together. So reflection, yeah, happens when people come together, I think, more so than with the current, which, which has to happen over the last couple of years, mm -hmm. online communication. Mm -hmm. I'm, as probably others, 
I've been so surprised when I've been working with people online for a couple of years to actually meet them for the first time. <laughs> and it's fantastic because, of course, by definition, people are real. And uh, the real experience of people is, is so much better than actually an online experience. Mm. And uh, so in terms of, 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 your, of your question, um, it's, for me personally, the coming together of people is actually essential. Now, one thing which I might add on this is that I'm a great believer in one of the things that the ACGA does, which is we establish regional groups throughout the country. Now, the whole point about regional groups, which of course has fallen apart in relation to this over the last couple of years, is because it provides opportunity for, uh, for localism and for groups to meet, uh, whether it might be in, in, a, in, a, in a pub around a table or whatever, um, and therefore create their own sort of subgroups within the ACJ and, and uh, do a bit of, you know, uh, self-help and uh, mentoring and all that sort of stuff, which you can do far easier when, you, when you're individuals meeting together in person. Um, and that's when the sort of the, the social thing comes in and uh, it can have so many benefits. To, um, to, and that was something which I, I felt very sad about that, 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 that had to go during the, the, uh, the pandemic. Um, we obviously want to revise that now. Now the pandemic's over, we can re-establish those groups and um, yeah well so important. Uh, well it is um, because the thing is with these conferences and I think I've been to almost everyone it's only a comparatively small group of people yeah. that can afford to do it uh, and well when we were down at Westine I remember some people came only for the day they literally could not afford to stay there and yet and, and that always seems a shame. The conferences are exciting, but they do tend to be, um, I was going to say, hijacked by um, academics. Sorry, <laughs> folks, uh, not being in this thing. But those are the people that have looked into it seriously, and they do... There are all sorts of reasons why they want to be seen. They have seen. a professional need to follow that research agenda and clock up a presentation. He said that beautifully. <laughs> but, um, you know, it does... I'm very aware that there's still an awful lot of people out there that it would, if we could get to them on a practical level, as well as lifting their head above the parapet with just day-to-day -day, um, trying um, to, make, to make it. I mean, a lot of, well, as we know, a lot of jewelers cannot afford to just do jewelry. I Sorry, think, I've gone think, off on a tangent. Yeah, no, but I think but that's where, um, you know, having um, conferences online have actually in lots of ways made it more accessible, that sort of knowledge exchange um, it can certainly happen. But unfortunately what doesn't happen, which is what happens when you get groups of people together, are just those incidental conversations. Absolutely. And that's quite difficult to facilitate online. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to some conferences online where they've tried to facilitate it, but it, it's a bit of an artifice 
one of the benefits of having actually gone into lockdown and having to do conferences online and learning how to use all of those is that we have been able to facilitate connections that perhaps have been a bit restricted before. Yeah. So it's just a, a matter of actually learning now. I think now that we're at the other side of taking all those great aspects, recognising the great aspects that we had before and how can we combine them. I agree. Yeah. Very much so. I want to go back to something that you said earlier. You are not a jeweller. Yeah. You are part of the Association for Contemporary Jewelry. And I found that the lineup there it's very diverse, diverse subjects. And you've given a space, a platform to various perspectives. Is that important in the association to be inclusive, that it, you don't necessarily have to be a jeweller, that you can access the, the theme from a variety of perspectives? Well, this was seen to be very important right at the very beginning of the formation in uh, 1997. Well, when it started as a, as a, as a concept in 1996, at actually the first jewellery conference um, in, in the country, uh, which was done by Norman Sherry in uh, Newcastle. Norman had a sort of like a plenary sort of session at the end of the, um, uh, of the conference, got all these interested people, actually the majority of the people who were actually at the conference, and expressed um, um, a desire and, and just checked that out amongst all the people to actually sort of come together rather like SNAG. But basically, the whole point about this was that was in our name. It's the Association for Contemporary Jewellery. Now, I remember uh, at our previous conference, I, well, I and Norman were, were, were talking about this, and uh, Norman said, um, I, I admitted that a lot of people forget that. And a lot of people that you're communicating with or, or they're writing about you and things, they say, the Association of Contemporary Jewellery. No, no, no. So Norman said, yeah, so I got that wrong, didn't I? <laughs> because, <clears throat> because people can't appreciate that difference between of and for. But we are definitely for contemporary jewellery. And that is so inclusive. And by, by definition, it has to be inclusive. It has to include educators, academics, collectors, makers, gallerists, and... Um, you Just know, curious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wearers. It's such an exciting area, and for so many people, it's closed off. Oh, they can go in to Monsoon and accessorise and buy something that's been... But the excitement of seeing something handmade for you, it, it can be, you know, and it opens a whole new world of what's possible and what's going on. And that was one of the things. I've come to it from publishing, so I was trying to spread the message anyway. But it went from being a subject like the ceramics, the glass, and the printmaking that I also did to something that I began to feel very passionate about. And that's what we want to get out to people. Okay, you can get cheapy do thing at accessorize. I do. Other stores are available. Yes, well, but um, uh, you know, you you don't have to spend thousands, um, but you can talk to somebody. It invests all sorts of personal things, and and also it's just a field that I find. 
is so exciting because you're pushing the boundaries out all the time. The techniques, the materials uh, you use. I think a lot of students come to it as well because it's an opportunity for individual expression. Yes. That seems to be a real focus for them. I want to follow on on this. So there was a recent article in Clinto to reflecting on why contemporary jewellery hasn't taken off, implying that not a lot of people know about it still, implying that there's quite a few people who aren't making a living with their practices. It's mm. not new at all. No, it's not. How do we change it? Is, can it be changed? Certainly, a lot of the galleries, if anything, have disappeared, haven't they? And the institutions in the education. Yes, I mean, I've yeah. been asked, where do you go to train? And people have said to me, oh, um, well, try your local evening class. Yeah. Um, that's not the sort of comment <laughs> that one would hope, but... Yeah. It, it, We're in for much more challenging times, I fear. Um, Yes, looking at these wonderful talents that come and they're making fantastic stuff, but I see them out and about and even while they're in college, it's like, well, why aren't you wearing your own work? If you're making it and you're proud enough to exhibit it, why aren't you actually wearing it? Yeah. So is it because it is uh, far too personal, far too confrontational? Is it easier to buy a painting or an objet d'art and put it on a wall or a mantelpiece? as opposed to then actually literally wearing something on your sleeve and exposing then your own aesthetic preferences um, out and about. So is it just a fundamental sort of sociological or is it also the, the marketplace is a real challenge as well. You know, the fine art market is very well established historically a huge marketplace, and I don't think contemporary jewelry, I mean, it, it doesn't have that same kind of cachet. It may change. I mean, what with now more investment coming from and more interest within sort of the narrative jewelry um, area within places like China, um, that may actually change. Um, there quite be more competition within the market for more individualised um designs I, th- I think there's a real gap in the middle mm-hmm. um, you get people who make jewelry and I say that in quotes that they show at a local arts and crafts show it's mm-hmm. the local people and the quality tends to be not the greatest but you know they can sell a pair of earrings and if you go to something like the big craft shows near us, it's at Wisley or it can be up in town. More and more, the jewelry seems to be at the high end of things, the expensive. And if you find somebody who's making exciting brooches, say, out of materials or necklaces or something, they're a rarity and you sort of leap on to them. But I don't think there are enough venues for that sort of thing to gently get people in and let them see that they can buy exciting stuff not that expensive but that there are places because i live outside of london and if i go up to town and i look at jewelry 
if you just see ka-ching, 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 it's very expensive. And if somebody asked me where should you go, well, I could say contemporary applied arts. Sometimes museums will have some little bits that you can buy. But it, it does, to me as a buyer, there don't seem to be that many venues. And is that marketing problems? I, I, I don't know. I mean, you're... Do you feel there is a, also a bit of a value disconnect in our contemporary society where you have a handmade, let's bring it to another field, a handmade mug, mm -hmm. which takes time and materials and resources and studio space compared to something mass-produced for less than a pound that is, in a sense, similar as an item in its function. However, there is there a very big difference between our understanding of this piece. If you're a maker, you understand what the process is. But as a consumer, you might not have been in contact with that. That was a huge problem in ceramic. Sorry, I'm jumping subject, but I can remember being at a talk where um, a potter was saying how much it literally cost him to make a mug, you know, all the time, the money and materials. At the same time, Woolies, <laughs> so way back then, you could buy ones made in China for a fraction. So and how can we as a field address these, I think, societal issues, in fact. I, I, I'm just wondering whether we need to address mm. it, actually. Mm. Sorry, this isn't a considered opinion. <laughs> it's just... We're having in, a conversation. In, in direct answer to your, to, your, to your question. We could say that if, if contemporary jewellery isn't that popular, okay, so what? Those that want it know it and can have it. And they can get their choice, they know where to go to, they know the galleries they can get it from, or the individual How do they designer know? makers. Running the ACJ. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very do, good answer. Do they even know the ACJ no, no, exists? Yeah, okay, you see, that's point. the yeah. problem. But, I mean, but surely if somebody was, was uh, uh, artistically aware in relation to the type of clothes they wear, the choices that they make with the, with the clothing, with the accessories, surely they could therefore uh, uh, investigate. And I do wonder if um, society values are going to start to change, or if mm. they're not actually already in the process of changing. Yeah. What with our now um, experience of um, production chain breaking down, people are becoming a bit more aware about what's perhaps involved in a manufacturing process, how it impacts mm. globally, Ecological ecologically, issues. carbon footprints, maybe now we're beginning to become a bit more conscientious about where the materials come mm. from, maybe we are going to become a bit more aware about the, the time and effort that's invested in actually manufacturing goods. We might be prepared now to actually spend not so much little and often, but once and well. Mm -hmm. that, sorry, um, that also implies that designer makers might be more inclined to uh, look at those issues themselves absolutely. and be offering, offering mm. stuff which does offer uh, alternatives mm. to that. 
I'm going to add one more question in here because there is critique on disciplinary thinking. And we as a jury field are a discipline and we are gathered here to discuss the discipline. And operating in silos, there could be negatives and benefits. What do you feel are the negatives and the benefits of us gathering as a discipline? And do you see there is opportunities for change? How could we, should we facilitate change to think transdisciplinary or multidisciplinary? The danger is the echo chamber. Sure. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think absolutely we need to embrace a transdisciplinary practice. We need to be listening to other perspectives from other fields and other cultures um, and becoming much more in, in embracing of wider conversations. And I think, um, yes, we can hold on quite jealously and possessively about our particular area, but I think ultimately you will just end up suffocating. So, yes, really do need to be engaged across fields. And I think experience that a little bit from the different papers that we've been hearing today. Mm. Sort of people are looking um, as much as they can within and without other fields. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think that's always been the case, but I think it's probably more relevant now because of what's been said about sort of um, well, global events, but also events that's uh, taking place within the globe, mm-hmm. uh, the ecological aspects. Um, I think it's more relevant that we are, as, 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 a, as a discipline, are concerned more about our environment, the effects of our environment, the effects of what our work is doing to the environment, and yeah, I suppose it goes back to a previous sort of aspect of how we can make people aware of that and uh, through our pieces. Well, it's pieces, but we're also, as an organisation, we've got a magazine who does focus on various areas yeah, yeah, and spreads yeah. um, the word. Yeah. Yes, we haven't spoken about our, our, the benefits of you, remember, really. Um, <laughs> really? We, we, we sort of Is this your marketing plan now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, broadly, we have actually... Uh, I suppose that the benefits of HGJ, but um, not only do um, all the benefits that we've mentioned you know, come to one, uh, but the, the, yeah, the, we do have a, a magazine, Findings, which um, is published twice a year. Uh, we also have a, an e-bulletin, which gives more uh, sort of up-to-date uh, communication, uh, which is published monthly. And um, as I say, really, we have this, what I think will come back in, in, into itself after the pandemic, we have the opportunity for local groups, local membership groups, and obviously close to home and close to the, the physical experience that we're in the middle of now, literally, and that is the conference. And um, OK, I suppose we're only actually halfway through, but it's been fantastic so far. Mm-hmm. Terrific range of of speakers, of, of, of the concepts and the the stuff that's been delivered, and to see that the streaming, you know, to actually talk to people in Hungary and the other side of the world as well, and it all comes over clear, sometimes even louder than the people on the other platform, <laughs> uh, is, is really good. So I'm glad the technology is working. 
and everybody seems so so happy. But, but but maybe this is, as I said before, maybe this is an opportunity to actually capitalise on what we've learned from being in isolation in terms of reaching out and making connections mm-hmm. and trying to fill that gap that you brought up with that quote about, you know, it's, it's yeah. what, is it a dying field? How do yeah. we reinvigorate it? How do people get to know about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, exactly. these the small communities and these opportunities are, are, are terrific for those of us in the know, but how do we reach that out? Yeah. You know, if I hadn't gone into publishing doing these things, I'd probably still be walking over there right past all of you. You know, it is breaking barriers. And you wouldn't be wearing such nice jewellery, being a collector. (laughs) The beauty of jewellery is that it does get us really excited and Mm. we feel very personally connected. Sure. I, I found it interesting, Joe McAllister, talking about taking things apart, because yeah. I was sitting there looking. That's my my husband's grandmother's ring. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I've never met her, but the feeling of continuity is really quite precious. I wouldn't <laughs> take it apart for the world, you know. And I'm hoping recycling my is a very interesting topic in a way. Mm. We've been as makers with a metal or a material that allows casting and casting and casting again. Yeah. A very and sometimes it's, what comes out is better than what you had originally, which is quite exciting too. Mm. Um, yeah. The conference clearly showed there are many facets to our subject that require discussion, contemplation and consideration. And I want to thank you and all the organizers of the event for making this moment and many other moments for reflection happen through the association. For now, I would really like to thank you all three, in particular Terry, Bridie and Linda, for speaking to me today. It has been a pleasure to hear your thoughts. Next month, I will be speaking to the two plenary speakers of the conference to reflect on their experience of the gathering and the topics covered. So watch this space to find out who they are. But for now, this was Sophie Boons for the BAJ podcast episode titled Beyond Silver with Terry Hunt, Bridie Lander and Linda Lambert. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.